God says walk. Walk up. Walk out. Walk into the wilderness. If your legs shake, go slow. If you wonder how you will get there, just look for a next step. If you don't even know where there is that you're getting to, take one rock and place it on another. And remember... Morning, Kent Cove. My name is Pastor Corey. I'm the transition pastor here at Kent Covenant Church. This morning we continue our series on the Exodus, and we're going to read a long section of Exodus this morning. And as I, before I do, I just wanted to, I was reminded by something I read this week that when we read Scripture in public worship, we're not just, you know, kind of setting up and, well, here's the text and this is what we're going to do. Uh, or talk about this morning, that's part of it. But really, when we read Scripture, we are rehearsing, as Peter already talked about, we're rehearsing the story of God and His people, and we're remembering that story, and we're proclaiming what God has done and will do. So as we read Scripture, that's part of what's happening here. And so it's not just you know, we're reading a very long section. It's that we're actually entering into worship and we're remembering to ourselves and we're proclaiming publicly the story of God and His people. So this morning, the part of the story that we are rehearsing comes from Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of Pihahiroth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. You shall camp opposite it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the Israelites, they are wandering aimlessly in the land. The wilderness has closed in on them. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, so that I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed toward the people, and they said, what have we done letting Israel leave our service? So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out boldly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his chariot drivers and his army. They overtook them, camped by the sea, by Pihahiroth, in front of Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you? In Egypt, let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, 
Do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward, but you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground. Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and his chariot drivers. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his chariot drivers. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel, and so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into a panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and chariot drivers. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at dawn the sea returned to its normal depth. As the Egyptians fled before it, the Lord tossed the Egyptians into the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and chariot drivers, the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the Israelites walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Horse and rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my might, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Please join me in prayer. Bless us this day, O Lord, with vision. May this place be a sacred place, a telling space, where heaven and earth meet. Amen. So this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about riding bikes. Because, you know, I get to do what I want sometimes, and I like riding bikes. Um, unfortunately, that uh, this is a map of one of the 
first really hard rides I did when I started riding uh, bikes in California. Um, this is a ride that goes over a road called Coleman Valley Road, um, and it's a route that the Tour of California, which is one of the only uh, professional bike races that we used to have in the United States, went. So it's a very difficult challenge. And um, so what I wanted to tell you about this, though, is if you could see the bottom, which it's clipping off just a little bit, that bottom part is, a, is an elevation graph. So it shows where we start, and of course you're on the coast uh, in California, much like we are here, so very flat, right? So the first, you know, 20 or 25 miles are very, you know, nice and flat, very easy. Um, but then you'll see that about at mile 30, there is a, a very steep uh, increase in elevation that takes place in a very short amount of time. Um, so all of this what happened was I, I had just started riding uh, as an adult, and I had this friend who was trying to get me into it, and so he's like, you know, I want you to come and do my favorite ride with me. Now, he didn't tell me it was this ride, right? Because, and this was an intuitively brilliant coaching move, right? Because if he had told me, I'm going to take you on one of the most difficult climbs in Sonoma County... Uh, I would have said, thanks, but no thanks, I'm good. Um, I don't think I can do that. One of the other little challenges to this is uh, I had just recently started doing uh, clipless pedals, which is one of the weird biking things that they do. They call them clipless, but they are clips. Doesn't make a lot of sense, but you actually clip into your pedals, right? So you are attached to your bike, which gives you more power when you pedal, but it's also very funny when you stop and forget right? Because you fall over. So this was my first. So what happened was we, we're riding, we're riding, it's great, and then we start climbing. And I am overwhelmed by this climb, and I have to stop twice on that first time because it's just so steep. And it's so steep that uh, dude had to, had to push me to get me started to get going again so I could get into my pedals, right? So we got to the top of this climb, we made it home, and he said to me, he said, you just did one of the hardest rides in Sonoma County. If you can do that ride, you can do anything on a bike. You can do any ride you want, which was, as I said, intuitively brilliant, because had he told me before, I would have opted out. I would have said, that's not for me, that's way beyond my skills, I don't have any interest in suffering that much, I don't, you know, all of those things. We come up with all those reasons why we can't. But because he didn't tell me, I did. And then looking back and remembering, it allowed me to have confidence as I move forward that I could do hard things, right? So, which isn't to say that there aren't days that, you know, the hill is too much and you have to stop and walk, but it is to say that there's this thing about perspective, that sometimes it's best to have the plan revealed to us after the fact rather than before the fact, because if we know what we're getting into, we just plain won't go, which is kind of what we see happening in this story, this long section, chapter 14 of Exodus that we just read with the Israelites. The Israelites have now been 
uh, delivered from Egypt, right? We, re- we talked about that last week. God liberated them from slavery, and He has now brought them into the wilderness. And you'll notice some things about this. First is that God instructs Moses to turn south, which is the opposite way of the way they should be going, to give the appearance to the Egyptians that they're, being, that they're lost or they're indecisive. And in fact, it, it, when, by turning south, they turn themselves into this kind of um, dead-end spot. They have desert on both sides and the, and the Red Sea on the end. They have nowhere to go. And then we'll see that, the, um, that Pharaoh and his leaders in the text have that moment of, oh my goodness, what have we done? You'll remember one of the things I love about the Exodus story is on both, the, on both sides of this story, the Egyptians and the Israelites, you have, the, you have on full display the absolute capacity of human forgetfulness or willful ignorance, whichever it might be, right? Because the Egyptians, um, in verse 5 it says, when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, as if this is some surprise to him, remember last week he summoned Moses and Aaron and said, take your people and go, right? But now he's saying, it's like he wakes up and says, well, they're, they're leaving. What's happening? It says, the text tells us that the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed, and they said, what have we done letting Israel leave our service? So all of a sudden, Pharaoh and his leaders have completely forgotten the thing about the plagues and the firstborn dying and all of this stuff. It's like it didn't even happen. They just, well, we've got to get them back. So they set out to pursue them, right? It's this amazing capacity that we have for for forgetfulness or willful ignorance, right? To choose to ignore what we know. And so Pharaoh and his leaders take off after the Israelites. Now on the flip side of that, we see the Israelites exercise much the same behavior, just in reverse, because it has hardly been any time at all Right? You remember if we go back a couple weeks ago, what happened? The Israelites cried out to God and God heard their cry. Right? And remember we talked about how that, was, that, that word cry was literally, could literally be translated howl. Right? So the, the Israelites were howling out to God because of the, the oppression that they were experiencing at the hands of the Egyptians. And God comes and God, and God liberates them through the plagues and then through the night of the Passover. God sets them free and not only sets them free, but uh, allows them to plunder the Egyptians, right? Remember as they were leaving, the Egyptians just said, here's our stuff, take it. And they left. Now they haven't been gone that long and things are looking grim. Their perspective is such that all they see is the desert and the sea. And they turn on Moses. And they say, what, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? I love some good sarcasm. <laughs> right? They let Moses know in no uncertain terms that they are not happy with his leadership and he has totally screwed this up. What have you done bringing us out of Egypt? 
And then, we, and then verse 12 is like the height of kind of that quintessential, um, I told you so. We don't know if they actually said this to Moses in the midst of the plagues and all of those things, but this is what they say to him. Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. Now, as a leader, I can imagine Moses going, what? Because that was not why God had sent Moses. God had sent Moses because he had heard their cry. They were not crying out to God to, oh God, thank you for letting us serve the Egyptians, right? They were crying out to God for liberation, and God gave it to them. And now they're saying, didn't we say to you that just leave us alone, right? And so I can imagine the whiplash that happens. But Moses says, do not be afraid. Stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. See the deliverance. Change your perspective. What it looks like now, what it looks like in this moment, will not be what it looks like in the future. What it looked like when you cried out to God because of the oppression that Egypt was visiting on you is not what it looks like now when you're holding all their stuff and you're free. Right? Do not be afraid. Stand firm. Change your perspective. See what it is that God has done. There is a reason that over and over and over again in the Scriptures, not just in the Exodus narrative, but from this point forward, that one of the things that God tells His people to do over and over again is to remember Remember, remember that you were slaves in Egypt. The whole, one of the whole main points of the Passover feast that even to this day faithful Jews keep every year is to remember that God brought you up out of Egypt. One of the things we do every two weeks at the table is to remember that God in Christ has brought us up out of our bondage. Remember. Had they known the plan, they might have, like me, with my friend and my ride, opted to just stay where they were. Right? But their perspective now is such that Moses says to them, wait and or see what God has done, see what God is doing. One of the interesting pieces in this text is the joining in verses 14 and 15 of stillness and action. Action by God tells, through Moses, tells the people of Israel to basically be still. Uh, my translation of that was to the people, shut up. Stop, stop complaining. Right? But then God says in the very next verse, Moses, 
why are you talking to me? Lead the people forward. Right? So there's this combination here of stillness and action. Moses says, be still. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Verse 14. And then in verse 15, then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward, but you lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it, that the Israelites may go through on dry ground. So this combination of stillness and action. Why do you cry out to me? Move. Right? And God says that that when you do that, I will achieve my glory over Pharaoh. Now, there's, a, there's some problematic stuff in here about Pharaoh, right? Throughout this story, I, or this, this one chapter, I think it's three or four times where it talks about um, God hardening Pharaoh's heart, right? And this idea that somehow God um, made Pharaoh, like, intractable. But actually, if you look at the original language, that, that hardening is um, also, Pharaoh is act, has, vocate, has action in that, right? It's not just that God made Pharaoh a robot, right? It's that God um, strengthened, another word that could be used in that translation is strengthened. Pharaoh strengthened his heart. So in other words, think of it this way. When we think we see something and we think we know something, and we just double down, right? So Pharaoh and his leaders, remember earlier in the story, it said that they kind of woke up and said, well, why have we let them leave? We've got to get them back. And so, this, so in some sense, God hardening Pharaoh's heart is Pharaoh doubling down on that perspective, choosing to forget everything that they've seen already and choosing a little bit more as, as they head into the Red Sea, Right? God delivers his people. The entire army is destroyed. There's one more piece that I think I want us to just really see in this text. And that's what happens with the pillar of fire and the cloud. Right? It kind of is um, not, there's not a ton of focus put on it, but it does mention that both moved between the Israelites and the armies of Pharaoh. And one of the interesting things is that if you read it, it literally says that it's, um, or it, it gives this image of darkness on one side and light on the other. So essentially what's happened is it's night, the cloud and the fire have moved between Israel and the armies of Egypt, and on the Egyptian side, it is cloud and darkness. God is, is obscuring their sight. But on the, on the Israel side, God is giving light to their path. He's lighting it up so they can see as they move into the Red Sea. So it's throwing darkness behind and light in front. God is providing for the Israelites in the midst of this difficult circumstance. Right? In the midst of this w- desert on both sides and Red Sea in front and Egyptians behind. The text then goes on 
and says, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the Egyptians, and, the Isra- and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work that the Lord did against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So where does this leave us? One thing I want to point out here is the scope of deliverance. Because one of the things that I think happened with the Israelites is the same thing that happens to us. We read this story and we very quickly can take the position of, well, we know, you know, we're, we're so much smarter, we would never do this, right? We, we read it and we go, how could they forget? They just, God just delivered them from Egypt. And they're already whining and complaining to Moses about, about this. How could they do that? But it's the scope of deliverance that that we lose sight of. It's not once and done. You know, we see this in the church over and over again. When you hear people preach that false gospel that is the prosperity gospel that tells us that if we just accept Christ, everything from that point forward will be hunky-dory. Everything will be great. It'll be peace, wealth, and happiness, and health. That'll be all of our life. But we know that's not the truth. That's not the gospel that Jesus talks about. That isn't Jesus' experience. It's not the experience of the Egyptians. God delivers them, liberates them from Egypt, and then as they move, they continue to need more deliverance. So God shows up at the Red Sea to remind them one more time to say, I liberated you, now I'm going to deliver you. And then from there, they're going to wander in the wilderness because they're going to forget again and again and again. And then one day, they're going to get to the promised land. And guess what they're going to do once they're there? They're going to forget again. And God is going to continue to pursue and deliver. The scope of deliverance is not once and done. It is a process that happens over and over and over again. So friends, I don't know where you find yourself this morning. I know we've all been, as we've talked about in this this seemingly never-ending season of absolutely horrific events, once-in-a-lifetime events, of which we seem to have an endless supply in the last three years. Or maybe it's more personal than that. Maybe there's, there's health challenges or relationship challenges or whatever it is. And you find yourself and you're looking around and you go, God, I see desert on the right and desert on the left and the Red Sea in front of me and oh great, here come the Egyptians. And friends, the word for us is perspective and we hear the words of God to the people of Israel to remind them to see what God has done, to remember what God has done. And so, friends, if you find yourselves boxed in this morning by the circumstances of life, whatever they might be, big or small, I encourage you to try to remember how has God delivered you in the past and tell that story. Do you feel trapped, hemmed in on every side? Cling to the stories of deliverance 
and know that somehow God will deliver you too. And as we come to the table this morning, remember that it is in this bread and wine, in this body and blood, that you have been delivered.